X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's April 1st, 2020. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. Do we need April Fool's pranks today? Maybe let's just surprise people with something really nice. At X-Ray, we're going to be here for you now and always. Today on your daily local news podcast, The Big Six Headlines, we'll touch base with Ben DeJarnett of Bridgeliner and an interview with Siadam Edmo, Executive Director of the MRG Foundation on philanthropy's role in response. This is a global pandemic, and if we keep doing work in philanthropy the way we have been, we will be complicit in the death of the most vulnerable. First up, it's time for today's Quick Six Local Rundown. It's Wednesday, April 1st. Late on Monday, the Oregon Department of Education released online learning guidance to schools, and they previewed the idea that school might be canceled for the rest of this academic year. ODE Director Colt Gill shared as we continue the effective measures of Governor Brown's Stay Home, Save Lives order, we also foresee the strong possibility that our students may not come back through our schoolhouse doors this academic year, end quote. Note, listeners, at this time, schools are closed until April 28th. The governor has not issued a new directive yet. Reminder, we don't have an elected superintendent of public instruction. Susan Castillo was the last one ever. Families looking for online learning opportunities, friend of X-Ray local STEM educator Crazy Aunt Lindsay is offering fun and free at-home lessons on YouTube, a daily live lesson for kids K-12. through You can find her with a search for the Fab Lab with Crazy Aunt Lindsay. She's not that crazy. Some fun education, though. Some data for the day. Yesterday saw a bigger jump in the number of positive COVID cases in Oregon as testing kits became more widely available. Total number of positive cases in Oregon is now 690 with 18 total fatalities from the virus. Thankfully, our governor is not among them. Governor Kate Brown presented with cold-like symptoms. She had a cough and was tested for COVID-19 out of an abundance of caution. The test was negative. Remember, negative means good. Yesterday, Willamette Week did the arithmetic and reported that Oregon's numbers have grown tenfold in the last two weeks. Meanwhile, the president is no longer calling it a hoax, nor pledging that we'll be in church together in our Easter bonnets. More shifts in the media. Yesterday on March 31st, the Portland Tribune announced that it would be temporarily merging with the Gresham Outlook and the Sandy Post. All three are Pamplin newspapers. The rationale for the merger is to ease the pressure on printing staff who cannot safely distance with multiple press runs. Another Pamplin media organization, the Beaverton Family Times, has announced that losing sponsors and ad revenue from events has led to the decision to furlough staff to keep neighbors informed. They're combining news coverage with other formerly competing media organizations and will be consolidating printing with the Washington County Times. Shout out to local journalists. Pamplin media outlets join other publications in making tough decisions. The Portland Mercury and Street Roots have recently stopped print editions and moved to online. Street Roots once fooled a bunch of us by saying they were moving online as part of an April Fool's prank. This April 1st, it's not a prank. It's part of a global crisis. Street Roots has also launched action teams to keep staff employed. Action teams get supplies to local homeless camps and are helping to fundraise to keep Street Roots going. X-Ray 2 has been hit hard by the economic stop. This is the hardest thing any of us have been through in our lives. We'd love your support now more than ever. At xray.fm, there's a handy blue donate button. Thanks for including us in your support for your hometown. We're forever grateful to our members and sponsors who are sticking with us. 
We know that we can get through this together. At I-5 expansion news, on Thursday, the Oregon Transportation Commission is deciding whether to move forward with I-5 expansion in the Rose Quarter. On March 27th, a group of local leaders sent a letter to the commission offering restorative justice with the Albina community as a next step and to move forward without an environmental impact statement. That group includes Rukiah Adams, Mayor Ted Wheeler, Metro President Lynn Peterson, City Commissioner Chloe Udaley, Multnomah County Commissioner Jessica Vega-Peterson, and the Portland Public Schools Board. The letter also asks for a commitment to peak time tolling and reducing emissions in north and northeast Portland while reducing congestion for all modes of transportation. The upshot. If the commission agrees, the group says it will support moving forward on expansion without a full study of the environmental impacts otherwise known as an Environmental Impact Statement, or an EIS, many local activists have argued that a full EIS is the only suitable next step. Here's a clip from Aaron Brown from No More Freeways on the importance of environmental impact statements. When ODOT did their study, they did what's called an environmental assessment, a truncated version of, you know, when you might have heard the phrase like an environmental impact statement. And that's a more thorough, more granular level of research that could be done that would make sure that we could have an independent opportunity to check ODOT claims that this would be the first freeway expansion in North American history that would somehow reduce congestion, improve air pollution, and reduce carbon emissions. That's literally never, ever happened a single freeway expansion anywhere in North America. And ODOT is claiming this will be the first one. And the study that they conducted to come up with these claims, they did this environmental assessment, and we poked all these holes in it. We went and found their traffic projection data and found all the points where they were kind of deliberately deceiving the public. And we're saying, okay, that's BS. You guys need to do a much more thorough independent study that has opportunities for independent analysis, that has more community partners being engaged in the process and, and looking over these numbers. And that would call for conducting a full environmental impact statement. A coalition including Sunrise PDX, the Oregon Environmental Council, Opal, and the Street Trust also delivered a letter to the commission. Their request urged an EIS in no uncertain terms. Some more supports coming. Oregon has been approved by the federal government to expand access to the Oregon Health Plan. The federal waiver that Oregon got, the very waiver that allowed the Oregon Health Plan in its innovative form, has been expanded, meaning the new applicants can skip income verification, Existing members will keep their coverage throughout the pandemic, and current members will not lose Medicaid benefits due to getting other federal benefits like unemployment insurance. Mount Scott Community Center will join other park facilities being converted to homeless shelters that can provide social distancing for residents. The Joint Office of Homeless Services is also considering establishing open spaces for organized camping, the Oregonian reporting. The Joint Office is estimating an additional $3.5 million a month to run additional shelters and services during the crisis. We'll be watching if the NIMBYs or if the money gets the mayor to balk at the new shelter space. And from the Department of Rainbows on a rainy day. On Monday, Marion Polk Food Share received a semi-truck filled with 21 tons of food from the Church of Latter-day Saints, one of 13 drop-offs in the Mid-Willamette Valley. LDS will be making deliveries in 47 states. And The Scanner recently shared that a Washington elementary school in Kelso is providing food-bearing plants to families. Ian Thompson, the director of Lower Columbia School Gardens, said, It won't feed a family for a year by any stretch, but there's learning around this and it gives kids something to care for while they're staying home and staying healthy. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. 
Here's to staying home and staying healthy. This is Jefferson Smith, and you're listening to The Local. Up next, Emily Gilliland talks with Ben DeJarnette of Bridgeliner on ways the local nonprofit sector is stepping up. Now it's time for Bridgeliner with Ben DeJarnett. Bridgeliner is an online resource, an email newsletter delivered fresh daily every morning to give you all that or a good amount of what's going on in our neighborhood and resources that you can use. Ben is here to talk with us again. Ben, good morning. Hey, good morning. So how has your coverage shifted at Bridgeliner? Or how are you all thinking about being a resource in this time? Yeah, uh, we're trying to think about information gaps. We don't want to be redundant with the really good reporting that, that OPB and, and the Oregonian and others are doing. We can curate that and, and share that out. We're really thinking of our role as as helping people find the most useful information that exists out there. And sometimes that's Oregon Live. Um, sometimes that's a Twitter thread. Sometimes that's a Reddit post. <laughs> sometimes that's a Facebook post. There's a ton of information and a ton of experts, and they're not all writing for legacy news outlets. I think our role is to, to kind of be people's full-time researchers and uh, synthesizers and help make sense of it all and, and try to give them something actionable, digestible, useful in our newsletter. Now, with information moving so quickly, how is your team organizing itself in order to track all that information and then come together into this into this resource that you all share uh, through your email newsletter? Are you meeting every couple of hours? Are you? I'm, I'm sure you're meeting remotely at this point, I'm guessing. Yeah, we are meeting remotely, and it's a small team, me and Devin. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking daily and, and trying to divide and conquer and push other things off our plate so we can focus on this right now. And, you know, yesterday we pulled together a little um, uh, kind of virtual happy hour with Portland Underground Grad School and, oh, and nice. um, had 20, 20 odd so folks join us to, to talk about consuming news in this moment and how to create healthy habits and how to find what's what's useful and avoid kind of the, the onslaught of, of news that um, at some point becomes uh, less and less helpful. Yeah, it's so interesting. I'm noticing that social media seems like folks seem to be communicating more through Facebook and Twitter because they're all at home and uh, some folks sort of posted up at screens or a screen watching news come in live and uh, you know with a 24-hour news cycle already we knew that these news uh, organizations are trying to fill the moments but now with things moving so quickly information is coming coming at us uh, at, at breakneck speed do you have any recommendations for media consumption right now for for our listeners i think try to try to plan it try to think of it like a, a media diet um, that you're intentional about and decide what your trusted sources are, what your trusted curators are. I have a few people on Twitter that I found very helpful. The Daily Podcast is my kind of national outlet that I go to for for, for the, the, the daily updates and so the, the bigger national and global context. <laughs> I guess my job requires me to be a little bit more yeah, yeah. deep in the weeds uh, uh, on the local stuff and to be following that more closely. But, you know, I, I think it helps to start and say, like, what are what are my information needs? What do I actually need to know in order to be safe today, to 
do my work today and create your media diet around meeting those needs and try to be honest with yourself about when you're consuming news beyond meeting those needs and whether that's healthy or whether it's just adding to your stress and your anxiety. Yeah, those are great tips. I was noticing just even in myself, I'm uh, working with a nonprofit right now in addition to what I'm doing at X-Ray and felt like the entire morning I was just inundated with news stories. And so I've been thinking a lot about alerts versus going to get the information myself on mm-hmm. my on my schedule um, because there are so many so many updates so regularly if you're if you're watching your phone and it's you know you've got it set up for alerts they're going to be coming at you pretty fast yeah what are some of the ways that you're seeing that folks can step up and step in to to support each other in this time of crisis yeah there's been i think an amazing response and this has been one of the I guess, you know, silver linings in this experience is seeing people stepping up for each other, the efforts to organize lists of local businesses that have gift cards that you can buy right now, the shop local uh, movement and, and sites that are springing up to, to help with that, people stepping up to volunteer for for Meals on Wheels and, and funds and, and, and all this other work. I think increasingly, you know, all this is going to help limit the damage it's important but I, I think we need to also be real about the fact that it's going to take an unprecedented unprecedented government response over the next month and several months to steady the ship and help people get through this and, and there's going to be a real need for for advocacy at, at every level federal state local and of course we have a big opportunity in may to pass a, a ballot initiative that will take on that wealth inequality income inequality challenge specifically around around housing for our most vulnerable neighbors and I think we need to not lose sight of that that opportunity and, and how important it is yeah absolutely then before we close out what comes next well what I'm starting to think about is you know when we're gonna have hard decisions I, I think in April and, and beyond about like if when how we ease the social distancing recognizing that the virus isn't going to be gone by then there's a good chance that the total number of confirmed cases could still be rising you know and at the same time there's there's a cost for every day that that schools and restaurants and businesses are closed and and that means more people losing jobs and uh, social services getting stretched and mental health suffering and and there will be lives lost in that scenario as well so you know what does a middle ground look like how do we transition into that and i have none of those answers but um at some point soon we're going to start talking about them yeah I thank I thank you for that. I we've been talking about how you know in the coming days we're going to see such a exponential increase in the number of cases just today, and within the last half an hour or so, Governor Cuomo in New York says that they now have two thousand three hundred and eighty two cases. That's one thousand and eight more than yesterday. Mm-hmm. So as we see testing catch up, we're going to see a much much broader spread of yep. of the virus, and we'll need to lean on each other even more. Ben, when, where can folks find you? Bridgeliner.com. Sign up for the newsletter, and uh, you'll, you'll get it tomorrow morning. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us yet again, Ben. Thanks, Emily. Stay well. And now we continue to Emily Gilliland's interview with Siadam Edmo, Executive Director of the local MRG Foundation. The foundation formerly known as the Mackenzie River Gathering. Now they seem to be just MRG, like KFC, but for social justice and do-gooding. Seedham recently reached out to the nonprofit Quarterly to shine a spotlight on the opportunity that philanthropy has and must take to support racial justice in the COVID-19 pandemic. 
So our world has changed significantly since we last spoke on air. How has the work of the MRG Foundation changed? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started, like many others, started working remotely. And our very first task uh, that we put on the table for ourselves was to talk to our grantees to find out what was happening on the ground. Our work, of course, as it has since 1976, centered social, racial, economic, and environmental justice. And we knew that the folks that we worked with were going to be hit hardest. And so we wanted to find out from them what their immediate needs were and then be there for them, advocate for them, not only bring what we had to offer them uh, to the table, but also connect them with larger philanthropy in the West. How has that gone? You know, it's been, I'll, I'll be honest, it's been, it's been rough. There are bright spots here and there. I think that we're beginning to see a turn in large philanthropy. I'll be honest, we are a small foundation, and so far, you know, since we put out the call last week, we liquidated 30% of our operating reserves to move to grantees in the field, and um, we're a fundraising foundation, so that's not a small thing for us. That mm. that means that our own stability, we we used it to to um, give to grantees. But since then, since we put up that three hundred thousand dollars, now the fund has grown to um, about eight hundred eighty thousand dollars, which is nearing what Amazon what? is giving. Wow! So <laughs> there's a but there it's. It's wow, yes, and it's also it's also really disheartening, right? So some of the, one of the biggest companies in the world um, is um, giving, ju- and we're just giving under what they're giving yeah, uh, yeah. in their backyard around COVID response. So, yeah. I, I, yes, my wow is definitely about the growth of your funds, not not about uh, oh, yeah. matching matching Amazon's. Now you have you have put together your reflections about the last couple of weeks and and how MRG is is showing up in the community into a into a letter that was recently published in the nonprofit quarterly. Would you like to read any of that to our listeners? Yeah, um, if we've got time, I'll just read it all. That's great, please. So uh, this article went live just yesterday. It's called, um, We Will Remember. 12 days ago, our five-person staff at MRG Foundation began working remotely, and I began my morning by sending out an email to local funding colleagues about coordinating a response and creating a pooled fund rooted in racial and economic justice. Many were at the beginning phases of pushing their workforces toward home and the pace of what was happening around us began to quicken exponentially. By 9 a.m. the following morning, our board was voting on a memo that would establish our own path apart from some of the funders we had been in conversation with not 24 hours prior. Here's the story of what fell apart. It's a cautionary tale that the philanthropic sector needs to hear. For over four decades, we have been funding grassroots groups, many that don't even have 501c3 status, that focus only on social, racial, economic, and environmental justice, something that most large funders are just beginning to, quote, explore or learn, research, and write statements about. Ultimately, ultimately, this means that they are weighing whether or not equity, diversity, and inclusion is something they actually want to do. Hey, I've been there. 
a part of a well-resourced, predominantly white institution, the kind that benefits from maintaining social hierarchies so they can maintain power and money in perpetuity. It's not easy, and it's why I left. Here's the thing that makes this crisis different and what every funder with access to significant wealth needs to know. Now is the time that your commitments to equity and diversity, better said, your commitment to justice, will be tested. This is a global pandemic, and if we keep doing work in philanthropy the way we have been, we will be complicit in the death of the most vulnerable. The triple threat of this crisis, the virus itself, the lost wages, missed meals, and lost jobs and housing during social distancing, and the economic downturn during and after the outbreak will hit communities that social justice organizations serve first and hardest. Because the living legacies of oppression are baked into our social, economic, and political systems, we know that the folks most affected by the crisis are more likely to be Black, Brown, Native, and especially folks who are part of our Asian and Pacific Islander communities, to be immigrant, refugee, or undocumented to be among those who are incarcerated, to be women, trans, or gender nonconforming, to be poor, to be disabled. So when my email thread with some larger funders fell silent on March 13th, we pivoted and refined our approach. I stayed up until midnight and woke up at 5 a.m. the next morning to write and refine a memo to our board proposing that we liquidate 30% of our operating reserves, which is $300,000. We had been left out of conversations. We, I thought we were part of leading, and I know it wasn't by accident. We are not entirely alone. I want to lift up our Sibling Foundation, Social Justice Fund, and the Women's Foundation of Oregon for responding quickly and being guided by a vision of justice. Additionally, both Seattle Foundation and Group Health Foundation are two larger funders that are similarly motivated, but it still feels lonely out there. Many other response funds have been created and coordinated but do they center equity and justice? So rather than stay quiet, I wrote an expanded group of the same funders and expressed my disappointment, while also reiterating that we would remain, we would like to remain involved and not just informed. Many reached out and apologized and are now partnering with us, but there are some who remain distant. And when I proposed to an employee of one foundation two days ago, moving just 10% of their wealth, they laughed at me. It's hard not to feel insulted. Listen, I see the poorest elders in my own tribal communities giving and sharing all the wealth they have in the world right now, the only food left in their fridge with neighbors less fortunate. We can't afford another outcome like we had in the Great Recession. We clearly need a different strategy. We need to ask ourselves, what are we willing to sacrifice when so many lives and livelihoods are at stake? Friends, it's time. Time to put your money, and I mean a good chunk of it where you say your, value, your values are, into equity and justice. Why? Because this is the moment that will define us and those of us who fight on behalf of communities we serve and of which we are a part will remember. We will remember your choice today. What has the response been to your, to your letter, to your writing? Um, you know, mostly good, uh, but... You know, we're kind of a different foundation, right? We, mm -hmm. um, we, we consider ourselves one that's very grounded in our, our grantees work. Um, and so, um, our grantees are, are certainly singing the praises of what, 
of what we've put out there in the world and especially the quickness with which we have um, formulated uh, our response fund. The work of MRG Foundation is is, a, is different, as you've shared, than other foundations and corporate corporate donors. You all are focusing in on a lot of the grassroots efforts and smaller communities, grassroots organizations that might not have paid staff. As, as we, as neighbors and community members, see opportunities to help nonprofits, do you have any advice for them? Is it, is it better to give to an organization like MRG Foundation who will, who will um, disperse money to some of those smaller grassroots organizations across the state and support them in the recovery? Or should they be directing funds to nonprofits directly? Do you have any advice to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I would say both. A lot of us are already, and I'm sure the large proportion of your listeners are already donors to mm-hmm. nonprofits that they care about. And I would say, number one, don't stop giving. Mm-hmm. Those nonprofits uh, are relying on um, their base of individual donors right now. And um, so keep keep doing that. The other thing is, you know, when considering um, if you're a person you know, that lives above the median income or you have more than you need right now, do consider a smaller nonprofit, one that focuses on equity and justice, right? Just just as in the in my communication to large philanthropy about, you know, really curating their response towards racial and economic justice, we as individuals can do that as well. Mm-hmm. Right? It's we're in an incredibly isolating time, but we also have some opportunity, right? It's how you spend your time. What's bringing you hope these days? Oh, geez. Um, (laughs) You know, I was on a call yesterday. Um, It's knowing that our activist organizer community and Indian country, um, it's, it's knowing all the people who are, are digging in and doubling down and who are with me uh, late at night and early in the morning, still working, right, still organizing. Um, and one person yesterday, I was on a call with um, leadership from the Affiliated Tribes of Northwest Indians. Uh, you know, the latest stimulus package um, does not include Indian country and Right now, um, we at MRG Foundation are holding some funds on behalf of tribal communities, and we want to get those out as quickly as possible, but grounded right in our values. So one tribal leader got, you know, everybody's talking about death rates and who's tracking them and, and et cetera, et cetera. And then an elder from Yakima Nation, Patsy Whitefoot, got on the call and just sliced through all of that um, just by saying good morning friends and relatives Patsy Whitefoot Yakima Nation it's a good day to be here it's a good day to be here with all of you doing this work alongside of all of you and I'm like yes yes it is it absolutely is and you know that grounding in traditional values of kinship and community is right now giving me a lot of life and I will a special shout out to Native Humor along all this. You know, a lot of people in times of crisis think humor might be, you know, 
callous and not appropriate and, and all of those things. But, you know, as Indian people, we've seen plagues. We've experienced plagues before and survived them. And we've experienced the worst of what we have because because we laugh. Mm. And I so value that right now. Mm. How can folks best support your work, Seattle? You know, uh, give to MRG. We are, our activist grant makers have met multiple times over the last couple of weeks. Um, we are working around the clock to to move this money out. So if you, like, right, we just had a stimulus package approved last night. Every person in the United States, hopefully, right, hopefully they find our, our houseless folks and ensure that they get some of this. But if you're a person that that has a retirement account, has more than it takes to sustain your family right now, I urge you to give that stimulus. Give it to an organization. You know, we can we can be the leaders that our government isn't right now. Uh, if you're wondering how you can be involved, we do have a special email that we've set up, covid at mrgf.org. And so inquiries can go there. If you're a community organizer, if you have an idea, you can donate there. I want to give an opportunity also for you to uh, put on a different hat that you wear, which is as the board chair of Oregon Recovers. Recovery is is difficult in the best of circumstances when we face the sort of isolation that is happening amongst the COVID-19 virus. Those in recovery are are struggling even more. Are there any resources that have been uh, brought online or already exist through Oregon Recovers that you want to give a shout out to? Oregon Recovers also has established a, a brand new website intended to connect folks all, all across the state of Oregon to provide resources to folks in recovery. So finding finding meetings online. Uh, so that's an important resource that's, that's just now uh, come live. OregonRecoveryNetwork.org. Oh, there you go. Recoverynetwork.org. Thanks, Emily. It was Google. Google approached us. Um, well, we reached out to them and they said, yeah, we'll do it. Um, and and we're just going to help you do it. That's I mean, I, I think we paid something for it. But again, Oregon Recovers is one of those, you know, grassroots organizations that is doing what it needs to do um, to serve the the communities. um that are impacted by addiction and they're just doing it. They're not, you know, waiting for some angel funder to come in. Although let's be real, it would be great if that happened. So donate to Oregon Recovers, please. But it's going to be a way that we keep our communities safe and well uh, at this time, especially in the state with some of the highest addiction rates. And even with some of the lowest uh, numbers in terms of access to recovery mm-hmm. and treatment, now that number has plummeted even more. Mm-hmm. So it's we we had to move in as an organization and fill that void um, for a community um, that was rapidly collapsing, right? Because the state is not reimbursing treatment providers or um, centers for clients that aren't coming in. And right now we need to hold that system up um, because the state has not come forward to do it. 
Where can folks find MRG Foundation again? We are at mrgfoundation.org. Excellent. See, Adam, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I know you are busy getting great things, amazing things done for folks all over the state and beyond. Really appreciate you stopping in to give us a sense of what's happening and how folks can support. Thanks for having me. And hey, thanks to the whole X-Ray team for keeping uh, keeping radio going right now. We need it a lot. <laughs> thanks, the Adam. Again, that was the Adam Edmo, the executive director of MRG Foundation. MRG has a new recovery fund focused on grassroots organizations centering on racial, social, economic, and environmental justice. You can find more about MRG Foundation online. Thanks to Emily, Aaron, Ben, and Siadam for sharing time, and thanks for listening to The Local, your hometown in about 30 minutes. Thanks to you, it's already growing. Please do share with others. Five-star reviews apparently really help. We'd also love your feedback and story ideas. Send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm or tweet us at xrayfm. In the meantime, stay home and stay connected. On our next episode, we'll be talking with Oregon Senator Ron Wyden. Thanks, everybody. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow.